Morning. Go Lions. Show you how spiritual I am this morning. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 4. I literally am the worst sports fan in the world. Uh, I, I watch it because other <coughs> people in my house watch it on occasion. <laughs> so I come out, come out from my cave, the cave of a doolum, <laughs> and I catch a little bit of it thinking that my uh, cheering on whoever's playing is actually working. <laughs> But uh, now you notice uh, in life, life is like a race, Paul says. We'll get a little bit about that uh, in the morning service. But you notice that uh, the race, uh, it can't be about you, can it? And uh, this is the only preaching tidbit on the Lions game last night. You saw one ref, female ref, make the entire game about her and threw that call last night. There you go. You can do what you want with that. Amen. Amen. Everyone's happy? We'll all go home. Happy New Year. Amen. The race is not about you. Amen. Second Timothy, you left off uh, chapter 4 and verse 3. Now that's negative. And the reason it's negative is because uh, truth is seldom heard from pulpits anymore. And the more truth that you sound out, you know, the more like we just sang, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spirits. Uh, the more you sound off truth, uh, the more you kind of get used to it. Amen? But the fact is, is many pulpits, they have uh, teaching sessions and rapping sessions and feel good, not like, you know, beatbox or something like that, but like coping and sharing and how we get along. Amen? All right, Second Timothy chapter 4. I've just completely buried myself this morning. You can bring flowers later. Amen? All right, Brother Cole, help me out and pray before we uh, get into the teaching this morning. Amen. Amen. All right, verse number three, the Bible says, uh, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And we left off uh, going through this thing, and we went over to Ephesians chapter four, and we showed you how when Christ died on the cross, uh, he went and he gave gifts unto men, that's the body of Christ, and those gifts we went through there in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Not only did he give the gifts unto men, but as we mentioned last week, what that is, that's, two, that's, a, that's, a, that's a dual thing there. He gave gifts unto men, but he also gave you a timeline right in the passage. And when he gave you those gifts... And you, many times when you read the Bible, we're not going to go into it, but there's several of them in the Bible. He'll give you truth, but also give you a timeline of truth. 
and history will be the thing that defines the timeline. And uh, from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 10, you'll see that the apostles were needed for the formation of the early church. And that's, of course, the first thing there in Ephesians chapter 4. Acts 1 to 10, the apostles were needed for the formation of the early church. And from Acts chapter 11 all the way to Acts chapter 28, you see New Testament prophets that were needed for the maturing of the church. You say, why did the church need to mature? Well, think about it. You have the complete canon of Scripture in your lap. They didn't. So those apostles were needed in the first 10 chapters there. And, of course, the New Testament prophets were needed there in chapters 11 through 28. And, uh, and the, here's the thing, the old-time evangelists, which is the next thing in that passage, like we said, and you know, they re- really don't show up until about 1700. You've got some as early as 1600, and uh, now we could dissect church history, and we could pull a multitude of evangelists out, but they really don't show up over here till about 1700, 1700 to 1900. We've gone over that during the Philadelphia church period, of course, Billy Sunday, R.A. Torrey, Sam Jones, Mordecai Ham, so forth and so on. You say, well, what happened between 500, uh, say 500 A.D. and 1500 A.D.? Well, that's the time Rome was burning and killing Christians by the masses. <laughs> that's why they call it the Dark Ages. And if that wasn't enough, uh, history has tried to change. Secular scholars have tried to change history, and they call it the Middle Ages. Well, that works too, especially on God's, the way God deals with uh, mankind. That's the middle time period. So uh, that was happening then, and they were burning and killing Christians uh, as fast as they could convert them. And uh, you, one thing you've got to realize about church history, not a rant, just, just truth this morning, uh, Catholics and Calvinists love to torch Christians, amen? They really do. So from 1900 to 1950, uh, you see the evangelists fade out in the sense of nationwide revival. The Second Great Awakening is by far over. The ushering out of the Philadelphia church period has since stopped. The open door that you find in Revelation chapter 3 has closed. Uh, they had but a little strength there in the Philadelphia church period. Laodicea is now setting in in early 1901, uh, probably 1880 to 1901, with the introduction of the RSV and also the introduction of the uh, RV. I'm sorry, ASV of 1901 and the RV of 1880, kicking out the King James Bible, ushering in the Laodicean church period. Back in Ephesians chapter 4, the next thing on the list you have is pastors. Now, I know in that passage it says pastors and teachers. Amen. I'll give you both of them here. Uh, and in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, which you know, and if you don't, you do know, that a pastor is supposed to be apt to teach. If a pastor can't teach and he can only preach, well, he's only half qualified. Amen? Amen. A preacher ought to be able to get up. He ought to be able to be filled with the Spirit of God even when he pre- preaches. You know, the old timers call it shelling the corn or whatever, getting with it, whatever preaching is. Amen? But he ought to be able to preach. But the Bible says he ought to be apt to teach. Not only does it says that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, but the Bible also tells you that again in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, two times in the pastoral epistles, that pastor should be apt to teach. Your pastor uh, should be able to teach you Bible truth, Bible doctrine, sound doctrine. 
I'd be able to teach you about the doctrines of salvations and the doctrines of whatever, angel, angelology, uh, demonology, pneumatology, any ology out there, amen. That pastor should be, why? Because God called him and put that thing on him, and that pastor should be studying that book. And honestly, he should be doing it more than the people in the pew are, <laughs> if that's his calling, amen. But uh, you see the, the great pastor movement, that thing comes in about 1900 to 1950, and through history you see great pastors show up. Great pastors with pastoral works, uh, great pastors of the past. Yes, pastors of the past, because they're dead now. You know, you've got J. Frank Norris, and he was uh, pastoring two churches, the First Baptist Church uh, uh, there in uh, Fort Worth, and he was preaching at uh, Detroit Baptist Tabernacle there in downtown Detroit, flying between the two, pastoring two churches. You had a couple different preachers like that. You had great pastors like Spurgeon, great pastors like uh, uh, Moody would be considered more. Well, he was a pastor, wasn't he? Evangelist, probably. But that's the great pastor movement. And uh, a pastor should be able, like I said, he should be able to teach. But if all your pastor does is teach, he's only half qualified. He should be able to preach as well. And, uh, and you can see how we're getting closer to the end. You say, why? Because in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that thing is pastors and teachers. And the closer we get going uh, to the second coming of Jesus Christ, that thing goes into a full-blown teaching movement. And that's kind of where we're settling. And as a pastor, a pastors have to fight against just teaching. I spent a little bit of time on this. A pastor, he is to what? Well, 2 Timothy 4.2, he's supposed to preach the word. Uh, a pastor is supposed to feed the flock. That's 1 Peter 5.2. Now, he can feed him with teaching, amen? But he's supposed to feed him with preaching as well. A pastor is, we just covered it, well, we'll cover it here in a minute, 2 Timothy 4, 5, he is supposed to do the work of an evangelist. You see that? <coughs> and uh, evangelists today uh, are not really true evangelists in this uh, national sense. They're pastors, they are preachers that go around and get offerings from other churches. I'm not against evangelists. Um, but you don't see the nationwide evangelistic movement like you used to. Evangelists now, quote-unquote, uh, you'll even see, uh, like, uh, Brother Sam Gibson, evangelist, he's still with it. And you know what his ministry is? To help the church. But yet he's called an evangelist. And he's probably one of the few uh, evangelists left that uh, you would classify as an evangelist. But he's really there to help the church. So you see what I mean? Uh, the evangelist movement is, is for the most part gone. But that pastor, he's supposed to do the work of an evangelist. I mean, he's supposed to preach the gospel. He's supposed to get out there in the highways and the byways. And he's supposed to open his mouth for Jesus Christ. Not be afraid to get out there and pass out tracts in this community. Not be afraid to get out there and preach on the streets of his own community. Amen. He's supposed to, that's over the pastor. He's supposed to do the work of an evangelist. Now with that, if you, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, that pastor, he's supposed to do the work of the ministry. That's why he's referred to as an ox, <laughs> because an ox is a beast of burden, amen? And uh, some, some preachers probably resemble oxen more than anything else, amen? But uh, that preacher, that pastor, he should be a worker. 
And you get a pastor in a church that doesn't want to work, you got a real mess. And he should be a worker. He should be able to do the work of the ministry. It takes work uh, to get the work of the ministry done. Amen? And so he's a pastor. He's supposed to do the work of the ministry. Not only that, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, you see uh, Paul, he's admonishing, <laughs> there's that word again, Archippus. There's an interesting name. Or Archippus, however you say that fellow's name. Colossians 4, verse 7, he's a pastor there in Colossae, and he says, Take heed that thou fulfill his, thy ministry. So that pastor, you know what he's supposed to do? He's supposed to stick with it. And in the last days, you know what you find? You find pastors, I'm telling you, I hate to even admit it, but on uh, a flake book there, there is a King James only page, and it is absolutely chucked full of churches that have no pastors. I mean, they're everywhere. You say, well, they're probably not our stripe. Whatever that means, I get it, right? Okay, so whatever, you know, I'm sure they still sing hymns and you know, whatever, you know, I'm sure they don't measure your skirts at the doorway or whatever like that, but whether or not they're northern Michigan people that talk with weird accents or not, I don't know, but there are still churches all over the United States that believe the King James Bible that do not have a pastor. You say, why? Well, they got discouraged, right? They quit, or maybe the sheep had enough of the shepherd and butted him out. Happens all the time, Amen. So that pastor, he's supposed to fulfill his ministry regardless of the opposition. But you notice the closer we get, the more, the more not only the Bible lays out the duties and the timeline of moving towards teaching, but you notice that the closer we get to going home, that the flock, they just want to learn. They just want to learn. And teachers show up just before the coming, second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, we'll probably spend the most of the, the time we have today discussing a little bit about that, preaching a little bit about that. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, Paul just got done saying, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's interesting, isn't it? Ever learning. And those are people who resist the truth. Uh, but you turn on any radio uh, today, you turn on any television and uh, there ain't anybody, I know it's not good grammar, but there ain't anybody doing any evangelistic preaching. Or not. I mean, the ones that have the, the airtime. You with me this morning? I'm, I'm tired. I feel like the, the Chevy is on my chest this morning. And I even, you know, even had a couple of Baptist shots this morning. Amen. <laughs> I'm tired too, but you, you turn on any radio, you turn on a station, any... Uh, and uh, there's no evangelistic preaching going on. Isn't that wild? You ever just stop and think about that? You ever just stop and try to reckon that and figure it out? I mean, it's kind of like you read the, the New Testament, the early church, and what everything went through, and then you try to figure out where Walmart fits in there. <laughs> it, it just doesn't make any sense, does it? it? It doesn't, but there's no evangelistic preaching going on whatsoever. Uh, but you know what they are doing? It's what we're talking about here. They're teaching. You see what I mean? We are in the teaching era. And uh, any preacher on any cable channel uh, you've got are nothing but a bunch of glossed over teachers. And you know what they're doing? They're pretending like they're pounding the pulpit for sin. But they're not. 
Uh, I actually heard uh, Adrian Rogers on the old Fruit Loop Network the other day, and he was actually preaching. He was preaching pretty good. And he preached a message to his church to help his people out. And at the very end there, he flips it right to the second coming of Jesus Christ, and that thing kicked like a mule for about 10 seconds. Bam! I'm like, that's it. But it was just 10 seconds. But 99.9% of the time, you turn on any of these uh, major networks, there's nothing but teaching. Teaching. You know, your best life now. <laughs> you can have power. You can do what you want and get away with it through a verse of Scripture. <laughs> you know, that's how the thing goes. And some of these uh, people on the radio, they pretend to be old-timey, uh, but most of them don't even try to do that. <laughs> They're just a bunch of slick teachers. They're just a bunch of slick orators. And I want to caution you, and I think you already know this, amen? But I want to caution you this morning that just because someone speaks good or speaks well, is that the way you say it? It doesn't make him spiritual. I'm not a great orator. I listen, I listen to myself, and I don't know if you do this. If you listen to yourself, you hate the way you sound. Like if, remember, when they had the, remember when they had cassette tapes? First time I ever heard my voice is on a cassette tape or an 8-track song. I'm like, oh, shut that up. <laughs> Who's that weirdo? You sound stupid, you know. That's the right attitude to have. But some of these people, man, they love to hear the sound of their own voice. And they just love to wax elephants. I mean, wax eloquence, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, fancy words, and Paul calls that good words and fair speeches that deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, you want to know what uh, got uh, Barack Obama uh, elected? You know what it was? The fact that he could speak really good. He was a, I don't care what you think of his politics. You stop and think about it. It took a... It took a <clears throat> I'm going to get in trouble here. It's all right. <laughs> it took a Hamite president to get same-sex marriage in this country. So his politics are in the toilet. But the reason he got elected is because he's a very, very good speaker. Very good speaker. He was a Tertullus. He was really good at talking. He was a community organizer. You know, he was really good. But uh, just be, hey, uh, Bean, why don't you turn the fan on here? But uh, they're just a bunch of slick teachers. And I want you to watch this thing now, all that buildup, uh, to go back to verse 3 and actually give you what I wanted to give you here. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible says, For the time will come. You see that? Uh, I'm, I'm trusting and praying that you believe that. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So it's talking about the body of Christ, it's talking about the church house, people that attend local churches, and they will not endure sound doctrine, but what? After their own lust, they heap to themselves, you see it? Teachers. Having what? Itching, the teachers don't have itching ears. It's the body of Christ that has itching ears. You see that? All right. <clears throat> Now, itching ears, uh, and that's you and I are in the generation that just wants to hear something new. Uh, look at the passage you know we're going to go to, Acts chapter 17. Uh, Paul talks about this group of carnal Christians called the Athenians. And this group, even back then, epitomizes the day and age that you and I live in. Acts chapter 17, look at verse 21. 17:21. Bible says uh, in Acts 17, 21, for all the Athenians and strangers which were, which were there spent their time in nothing else 
but either to post on Facebook, I'm sorry, <clears throat> to tell or hear something new. You see it? That's what it is. And uh, you, just like the Athenians, and you want to be very cautious in your Christian life that you don't become that Bible-believing Christian that will only listen to new things. I want you to think about that just for a second. If you're not careful, you say, why? I know my crowd. I really do. I know my crowd inside and out. We're really bad at this. We're a crowd that desires to hear new things because we're actually taught the Bible. Okay? And not only that, but if we're taught the Bible many times, we get proud about it. We get puffed up about it. And because we've heard someone teach doctrinally on it, or we've heard Dr. Ruckman preach it, or we've heard Dr. Peacock preach it, or Dr. Walker preach it, and then we go to some other local church and hear someone that is not as famous or as known, well known, we get proud and we're like, oh, he's going to talk, he's going to, you know, he's going to do, he's going to talk about that today. You got to be careful that you don't become that Athenian Christian that only wants to hear something new. You know what Paul said? He said in Philippians 3, 1, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Can I remind you what I know you already know? Just because you heard it preached once or twice does not mean that God can't show you more truth from that passage. Amen. Matter of fact, it ought to be a comfort to you to hear something that you're familiar with because you don't have to try as hard to grasp uh, the foundation of it. You know generally what the context is and being in that fertile ground of truth, you can actually learn more. So you got to be careful as a Christian, you don't become Athenian in the way you think. Like, bless me if you can, right? Because we've already heard it. Oh, he's going to preach on that. What, does he think we are stupid or something? Well, no, but it's safe, Paul says. And Bible believers have a proclivity. They have a tendency to get proud and puffed up. When you go somewhere else and you hear someone preach about something that's kind of repeat, and uh, anymore, I challenge myself, if I hear something that, let's say I just preached a message on uh, this over here, and I go and someone's preaching on it, I'm like, okay, I want to see what they got out of it. Because let me tell you what, what the Lord showed me, uh, He's not going to show somebody else something contrary to that, but He is definitely going to show them something in addition to what He showed me. And you got to be careful about that. But notice this. You have to fight this just as much as those that are already deceived, this thought process that I'm just here to hear something new. And if he talks about Calvary, well, I'm already saved, so, you know, uh, I'm just going to tune out. Or he's talking about the rapture, and, yep, I'm saved, and I'm ready to go, and I've had enough of this old world. Well, hold on now. And that stuff is preached to us, and it's taught to us to give us hope. Amen? And it's safe, Paul says. And while we're to grow in grace first, uh, and then, the Bible says we're supposed to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But it's going to be done through preaching if it will have any power at all. Any power at all. And you say, well, what's wrong with wanting to learn something new? Nothing. But there is a problem if all you want to do is learn something new. <laughs> Amen? You say, well, why are you kicking all the teachers? And why are you kicking learning and Look, I'm not kicking pastors who are trying to teach the flock of God what they need. Amen? 
That pastor has to do a job to teach and preach. And let me tell you what, uh, we're going into our 10th year here. And uh, it's hard to believe that. And I don't know if I still have the right estimation of the ministry, but the Lord keeps showing me. He keeps changing me. And I'll tell you this much. You know what the, you know what, uh, the Lord is pushing me uh, gently, <laughs> leading me gently, or as one preacher says, dragging me. Uh, you know what he's pushing me more towards? More preaching. Amen. Amen? When I first came here uh, with my family in 2014, um, uh, I preached once a week, and I taught three times a week. You say, why? I saw the preacher had in me. You say, really? I'm like, yeah, really. There's a difference between preaching and teaching. People will gather in mass to hear teaching. <laughs> now, maybe not Sunday school because it's early in the morning, amen? <laughs> now, we initially, I've told you this before, but it's, it's good to recap and to, to see how the Lord does this thing here. We initially had Wednesday night service in the fellowship hall when we first came here. And let me tell you what, we started our Wednesdays back in 2014 and 15 with a dinner. Every, every Wednesday with a dinner. <laughs> I mean, everyone bringing their crock pots and casseroles and apple pie and brownies. And oh my goodness, you know, just a bunch of flabby Baptists bringing food. And I'm telling you what, just... I'm telling you, I'm not lying either. We packed that place out. And we had service out there. Everyone around a table and a chair. Nothing wrong with teaching, amen. And we packed that thing out. And by the time we had about 60 jammed in that fellowship hall for a Wednesday night service, the Lord says, he, he, uh, that still small voice said, man, you need to put that thing in the, in the, uh, in the sanctuary. I said, that's right, we do. We're growing out of the old building now. I tell you what, that, <laughs> that first Wednesday, everyone got there and had their dinner. And man, they're all just, you know, Baptists is what they do, amen. I said, all right, uh, now we're going to go in the sanctuary. And I'm going to tell you what, after that night, we didn't have 20 from there on out. You say, what? Something about being in this sanctuary right here and a pulpit and preaching. You see what I mean? Now, that was the Lord teaching me a lesson. I wasn't wrong in how I handled it first. I was just trying to, we were just trying to survive in those days. Amen. We came every service, whether or not people were going to throw us out or not. Amen. And y'all still have them. What a blessing. Amen. <laughs> we figure we come in some. Uh, services and we figured the locks would be changed but they didn't they should have but anyways so we turned off that dinner and turned uh, turned on the sanctuary and literally overnight that teaching crowd vanished it did now you uh now watch the change of emphasis uh in Laodicea here look at verse four Okay, now you need to tie this in with verse three I've done a lot of yakking here and I apologize for that but look at verse four and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. You see that? You say, who's turning away the ears? The teaching from the teachers are turning away the ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. That's important for you to see. So the last part of the church age, the problem is going to be teachers who are turning away from the truth. You see that, right? I believe wholeheartedly this is why every preacher should preach 
a little bit more than he teaches. Amen? At least, uh, at the very least, a preacher should be 50-50 in his preaching and teaching. And that's why the Lord's stirring me up to preach more. Preach more. So right now I preach Sunday morning and I always preach Wednesday night. And uh, besides our study on pneumatology, I try to preach on Sunday night. If I get that Sunday night nailed shut, uh, that'll be 75%. You say, why are you putting the pressure on yourself? Because I need to put pressure on myself. You need to put pressure on yourself. You know the best way to stay in fellowship with the Lord? Constant exposure to Bible-believing, sin-hating, devil-kicking, Bible-believing, King James, Bible-believing preaching. That'll keep you right with the Lord. But a lot of people won't. They won't expose themselves to it. Um, So the problem in our day is going to be teachers who are disguised as preachers. You need to hang on to that. The problem of our day is teachers disguised as preachers and they're turning away people from the truth. Now what did Paul just tell Timothy in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 3? He said, Timothy, hold on to the what? Scriptures. Because in the last days, you know what these teachers are going to be doing? Teachers are going to be getting up in the pulpit and they're going to say, now in the originals, this should say... And teachers in the last days are going to say, now I know the King James says this, but a better rendering is, and Paul says you better hang on to the scriptures, because here comes the teachers, and the people got itching ears. And in the Greek, what this really means is, uh, and in the Hebrew, what this really means is, (laughs) and the teachers are attacking the Bible in the last days. You do realize there's an attack on your Bible. Amen? I know that should go without saying, but sometimes you gotta, uh, you got to turn that stone over. Remember as a kid, you'd playing around in the woods, and uh, you'd turn logs over and a bunch of centipedes and worms and stuff. Yeah, that's, that's the teachers attacking the Bible, a bunch of, bunch of bugs. And right there, Paul's warning about it. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, And they shall turn their ears away from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. And fables, of course, are man-made ideas. Man-made ideas, stories of men. Uh, things that aren't really real. They just act like they are. So he said during these times in verse 5, But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Now you notice he told him to watch. He told him to watch. And uh, watching is just a little bit more than looking at it something. But obviously conveys the message. Your eyes have got to be open as a pastor. As a preacher, so I'm, you're going to serve God, you better keep your eyes open. But not only that, remember when he goes into the garden with them, and was it Mark chapter 14? He uh, says uh, they go into the garden, Peter, James, and John go a little bit farther with him, and they're going to go pray, and they, <laughs> they fall asleep. Lord comes back, he says, couldn't not, couldn't not thou watch with me one hour? That's indicative of your prayer life. So that preacher, if he's going to get anything done, if you're going to get anything done in your Christian life, it's going to come through watching, through praying. And why we don't get stuff done that we could get done is we don't pray. He said, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. And by the way, if you're, uh, turn to John chapter 16. If you're watching, you don't have to watch very long before the afflictions show up. If you're watching, if you're praying, if you're trying to get something done with the Word of God in prayer, you won't have to watch very long and the afflictions will show up on their own. 
Look at John chapter 16, verse 1. The Bible said, These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. In the original Greek, that means Baptist. Just kidding. <laughs> verse 2, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he doeth God's service. Well, that sounds like the Muslim religion, don't it? They had a chance. They'd kill every one of you suckers in here, and they'd do it with a smile. And they'd Allah, Ullah, snack bar, Riyadh, all that stuff there, and think they do God's service. Look at three. And these things they will do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. Now look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Another great passage of Scripture here. You need to uh, connect together with uh, the one we just read. 1 Peter chapter 4. Deal with afflictions. You start praying. You start getting a hold of God in your Christian life. The afflictions show up just like that. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. And that's why a lot of Christians quit praying, by the way. Because they get to praying about things, and they get a relationship with the Lord, and they start being faithful in prayer. And here comes the trouble. They're like, oh, i got to quit that. <laughs> no, keep praying, man. 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange... Concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. You see that thing? Let's talk about afflictions, doing the work of an evangelist. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, it says, <coughs> excuse me, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof thy ministry. Now, of course, an evangelist is third on the list of five in Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at verse 11 and 12. And uh, if you're going to make full proof of your ministry, how, well, how are you going to do it? Well, just like the passage said, you're going to have to endure afflictions. You're going to have to do some evangelistic work. And, uh, you know, if, if someone says prove it, you know how you usually prove it? By what they see. So full proof is usually indic indicative of fruit in the man's ministry. You know, the proof of God's blessing here is not how much money we have in the bank. That's not it at all. The proof of God doing something here in this church has to do with the lives of the people that go here. Old Dr. Harry Ironsides, when he was a boy, he wasn't a doctor yet, but he worked for the Salvation Army. And there was a great, uh, he uh, was starting to hold some evangelistic meetings. And one, uh, one, one infidel, heretic, said, he said, Dr. Ironsides, I'd like to challenge you to debate about the, the truth of the Bible, whether it really is what it says it is. And uh, uh, Dr. Harry Ironside said, okay, he says, I'll accept your terms if you go get one drunkard who's been a drunkard all his life and infidelity has ever made him better. If you go get one harlot that's been impure and wicked and ungodly and infidelity has made her good, well, and pure. You see that? And what I'm trying to say is the proof is in the pudding. And when he got when uh, Dr. Ironsides got done with that fellow, that fellow says, I can't do that. And he just turned around and walked away. So usually the proof that God's uh, using you and blessing you uh, even is, is fruit. You say, well, we live in Laodicea. We live in the time of the gleanings. Amen. And you know what I know about fruit in the last days? Don't last long. Did you get a hold of that? 
Fruit in Laodicea doesn't last long. Let me tell you what, some fruit's rotten. That's Laodicea. That's where we're at. But uh, at the end of the day, it's fruit of a man's ministry. It's usually what they can see. You're not talking about a beautiful building or a bank account, but what God's doing in the lives of people. But that shows that God's blessing you and God's using you and God's working with you. And the true proof, the true proof of a New Testament minister, if you look at what Paul wrote, is all the trouble you go through. <laughs> That's the real proof. You going through trouble? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, there you go. You're the real deal. <laughs> now, Paul, in verse 5, he's done talking to Timothy. And he's going to talk about himself for just a little bit here. In verses 6 to 12, Paul is going to talk about himself. And notice what he says here in verse 6. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Paul knew when he was going to die. You see some of them old-timers, you know, the patriarchs of the past, uh, they yielded up the ghost. Now in a day of medicine and drugs and uh, psychotropics, I don't reckon too many people are yielding up the ghost. I'm thinking it's going to go when they, want, <laughs> when they can no longer uh, stay here. But them old-timers, they would uh, yield up the ghost. You know, Abraham yielded up the ghost. Jacob yielded up the ghost. And Paul knew when he was going to die. An interesting thing about Peter there, and was it uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14? Uh, Peter said, Knowing this shortly, I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. How'd you like the Lord to show up to you and say, Hi, by the way, this is the way you're going to die. <laughs> I'd take a bit of spiritual maturity to handle that. Now, if it was peaceful in the bed, I'd probably be all right. But, if, you know, they say you're going to some kind of head on, whoa. I'd stop driving cars, you know what I mean? Lord, send one right through your house just to make his word true. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, Peter knew. P uh, Paul's getting ready to leave this world. You know, Paul's sitting in a Roman jail. You think he'd be whining about it. I would be. You probably would be too. Uh, some of y'all are spiritual, but I'd be like, someone please come visit me. <laughs> Bring cookies, you know. <laughs> but he's not whining about it. And Paul, why? Paul knows where he's going. And Paul's not whining about his accommodations. <laughs> Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, real quick. Great passage here. Paul's talking about himself. He's ready to go. Uh, the Lord had revealed to him when he's going to die. How's he going to die? I thought that was pretty interesting. If the Lord had revealed to Paul how he's going to die, I bet you when he went to, when he went to go uh, get his head took off by Nero's soldiers, I bet you Paul is like, all right, man, is this good enough for you? I'm going to lay my neck out there because we just, you know, the Lord showed me one swing, not two, right? <laughs> so get it done right the first time. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.1, the Bible says, For we know... That if our earthly house or this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. That's a blessing. You see the confidence there? And house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Uh, verse 4, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the same self thing as God, he also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit 
Therefore, we are always confident. There it is again, that confidence. Knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Verse 9, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to the act done, whether it be good or bad. Okay, Paul, you ready to go? What do you have to say for yourself? Look at verse 7. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. (laughs) That's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good. And that is the same thing uh, on Bob Jones Sr.'s tombstone. That's an interesting thing. I'll look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 again. 2 Timothy 2, back two chapters in verse 5. Verse 5, the Bible says, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. So look what's included with fighting a good fight. If you're going to get the crown uh, uh, as a Christian, then you have to do things right according to the Bible. You don't get to do things according to your feelings, according to your opinions, according to the way your family did it, the way you're predisposed to do it, but you're going to have to do it the right way according to the Bible. And if you don't do it right, here's the thing. You don't get the crown. If you don't do it right, you don't get the crown. All right, you fought a good fight. Have you finished your course? Have you kept the faith? And have you kept it lawfully? Have you done it the way the Bible said to do it? Uh, Look at Philippians chapter 3. That would be the last one we get to today. Paul's idea was getting to heaven seeing Jesus Christ, and then getting rewarding, rewarded for what he did. I, I hope that's your idea of serving God. Amen? Getting there, <laughs> number one, seeing Jesus Christ face to face, and then standing in line to get rewarded for what you did for him. Amen? I hope that's your idea of service. That ought to be your idea of serving God. Look at Philippians 3.13. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, look, everything behind me is gone. It's underneath the blood. I got my eyes on the finish line, and that's where I'm going. I'm not worried about the crowd on this side. I'm not worried about the crowd on that side. I burn all the bridges behind me, so there's only one way I can go. That's upward and onward. Amen? You've got to burn all your bridges with the world, the world's crowd, and the world's devices. Burn it all behind you, so the only one place you can go is forward. And Paul says, I'm going as fast as I can possibly go without getting ahead of the Lord. I'm running the race that is set before me. I'm fighting a good fight. And you know what he knew? He could only run his race. He can't run yours. You can't run somebody else's. You can't worry about someone else's race. We'll hit a little bit about that this morning, the morning service. But you've got to run your own race. Run your, don't worry about someone else's race. You realize if you start acting up in your lane, you could affect someone in another lane. Not, my physique did not lend itself to run track. Some of you all might have done a better job at that. Amen. But if you don't stay in your lane, you knock someone else out. Not only will you get disqualified, but you'll mess somebody else up. All right, we'll stop about right there.
Verse number seven.